We are in our last Sunday of uh, Not All Who Wander Are Lost. So here's what I want you to think about for a minute. I want you to think about uh, a wandering that you have had. Maybe it was a vacation. Uh, Maybe it was a staycation, but something that you did, and it could be any time from early childhood in your earliest memories uh, to last week, okay? And I want you to think about one of, you can look at it one of two ways. What's like the worst journey you've ever had in your life? It just, everything fell apart and went bad. In fact, let me give you a couple pictures maybe to think about it that way. You know, here's, and this may, you may, your car might still look like this if you got home from vacation last night. You know, that's the time in life where the kids have to take everything they own on vacation with them. And uh, they, they can't leave anything behind. Or maybe, you, you know, you, you had an experience where you're driving down the road and something kind of terrified you, as Clark Griswold found out there. But you can look at it that way. Or think about, like, maybe the greatest journey you ever have. Like, what's the coolest thing maybe you've ever seen? I remember seeing Niagara Falls for the first time and just standing there with our family going, oh, my goodness, that is just one of the most overpowering things that I've ever seen about. So, so everybody's kind of in the summer mode. So can you think about it? Can you think about maybe what was like the worst or what was the best? Okay, so we're going to take like 90 seconds, and you might be sitting next to your best friend, or you might be sitting next to a stranger, but share one of those. And it could be in a word. Worst experience was, you know, 15-hour car drive, whatever. But take 90 seconds, share those experiences with each other. Go. You can stand up, you can move around, you can sit, however you want to do it. Did you share a really good one or a really bad one? Both of them? You shared both of them? Okay. All right, you got about 15 seconds to wrap it up. Who thinks they heard, like, the worst story ever? Anybody? Would you be willing to share it in 30 seconds or left? All right, come, come, we're we're just making this up as we go along, Rick, okay? Either either Anthony or Chris, who wants to tell the story? Would be willing to tell the story. We're going to do an open mic thing here, okay? Who thinks they heard, like, the best story? Anybody willing to share that what they heard was a great story? Nobody heard a great story. Okay, everybody sharing what really went wrong. Well, Anthony, what happened to Chris? Well, he was just talking about how he was flying back from Hong Kong and his wife uh, had morning sickness. 13 hours threw up the whole way. Okay. Yeah, so that was, that was actually pretty bad. I thought I had a bad one. I haven't. Yeah. I, I haven't and my, <laughs> our personal story was a flashback of us going to Hawaii with two 14-month-olds. Um, and that is them crawling up and down the aisles, freaking out, losing their mind. That's something I'll never want to experience again. So that's personally the worst. And I think everybody on the plane would agree with you that that was something they hoped you would never experience again. Any great stories? Really, no great stories. Everybody's really scarred. Um, if, if Cindy were here, she would say our, her maybe worst experience on vacation was when uh, two weeks ago she had a headache and she asked me for two Excedrin and I reached in my little medicine Thing, and I gave her two white pills that looked like Excedrin but didn't have EX on them. And they're actually pain pills that the doctor had given me a couple weeks earlier for a really bad toothache. And about 20 minutes later, she's like, are you sure those were Excedrin? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm positive they were Excedrin. And then I was too afraid to tell her. 
I, I, she's like, I don't want to freak her out and make her think that, you know, something really bad is going to happen. And my daughter-in-law's look at the label going, oh, the, the two won't kill her. She'll, she'll, be, she'll be okay. So we told her a couple days later. And, um, but everybody has a trip that they either want to cherish and just was so great and everything worked out perfectly, or, or they have a journey that they, that they want to forget. How many of you, just out of curiosity, they're, they're one, one of two answers. How many of you, when you go on a trip, it's like the destination's it. Doesn't matter what we pass, what we stop. We, we got to get there. And how many of you are like, no, I, I want to meander and I kind of want to see the sights. How many of you are like, just we got to get there. The destination's the whole thing. Okay. And how many of you like to wander around? And how many of you are married to somebody who's the opposite? Okay. There, there you go. Marriage counseling at Green Tree Community Church. I want to suggest to you this morning that... Um, that the journey is just as important as the destination, whatever your opinion happens to be about whether you just want to get there quick or whether you kind of like to wander around. Now, the church of Jesus knows its destination, right? We, we know the hope that we have in Christ. We know kind of where we're going to end up uh, by God's grace and his mercy through Jesus we have an amazing promise. I just want to remind you that this morning. Revelation 21, uh, the second to last chapter of the Bible, and, it, and, and Jesus is beginning to give John his wrap-up information. Chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation, this is how it's going to end. And this is what it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. should say I left the E off there. Uh, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So you have this really majestic picture of God bringing salvation to, to culmination in Revelation. So we know where we're headed. But this morning, I want us to think about the journey. My topic this morning that, that I've been given in, in, to wrap up our summer sermon series is the church. How is the church uh, the, the truth that, we, that we've been working with all summer is not all who wander are lost. Well, how does that apply to the church? Well, I want us to think about our collective journey as a church here at Green Tree, as well as our individual journey as disciples of Jesus. How are we doing at traveling together? How are we doing with the, the long car ride? How's that working out for us? Are we nurturing one another? Are we strengthening each other? How's our reputation with those who kind of come and check us out and are trying to decide whether or not they'd like to go on the journey with us or whether they look at us and go, wherever you're going, God bless you, go, go right ahead. I'll, I'll find someplace else to take a journey. You see, how we travel, I think, is absolutely crucial. So the way I want to go about this this morning, kind of how we're going to answer the question is, I want you to kind of keep in mind that the New Testament image of, of the bride. Where, where, G, where John, Jesus says to John, um, it, it's like the bride coming and being presented to the groom. It's, it's, it's that beautiful. It's that glorious. It's that celebratory moment and, and the notion of this relationship of a, of a bride and a groom. So that's part of it. But the other part of it, I was kind of playing the idea of a bride out of my mind. And I was reminded of this passage in Proverbs chapter 31 where the king paints a caricature or a picture of what he calls an excellent wife. So a bride has now become a wife. And I began to think about the characteristics that are celebrated in Proverbs chapter 31. And I began to ask myself the question, could those same characteristics be applied to the church collectively? 
In other words, what, what the king writes about in, in Proverbs, what he's giving an example of characteristics in a human being that are to be lauded, are to be celebrated, are, are, to, be, are to be praised, could that actually apply collectively to us as a church? And I think it does. So it might feel like a bit of a stretch for you, uh, but I want to look at Proverbs chapter 31, and I want to try to answer this question, kind of sermon in a sentence. If the church is the bride of Christ, which is we are, we see in the New Testament, then what qualities should be seen in her as she travels towards glory? If the church is the bride of Christ, what qualities should be seen in her as she travels towards glory? I'm going to read Proverbs 31. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 31. It's it's not lengthy, but it's not short either. So hang in there with me. Hear the word of God. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands to the hold of the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. Another translation of that is all of her, all of her house is clothed in double layers. Uh, she, she has warm clothes for the winter. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gate when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. And the notion there is that she she knows that that there's trouble brewing. She knows that there will be difficulties, but she laughs because she is prepared. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And here's the quote of the husband. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the reading of God's holy, perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather together for worship. Father, we thank you for uh, those of us who have been traveling lately to be able to come home and to be reunited with people with whom we love. Father, we thank you for the, for the stories that will be told over the next few weeks about uh, different travels and experiences we had. Uh, Father, we thank you for the, the laughter that that brings, uh, some for the relief that it's behind us. Father, as we uh, come to your word this morning, we want to be mindful that we are on a journey collectively together as a community of faith, and that how we travel is as important as where we're headed. How will people know the grace of Jesus unless they see it in our lives? 
how will people understand the transforming power of the gospel unless our lives are lived in a way that reflects your grace and your mercy. So, Lord, as we study this passage, may we not uh, misunderstand and make this a salvation that is based on our works and our effort and our energy, but rather may we see it as what you want to do in our lives, the qualities that you want to grow within us in order that your name would be great, in order that people would turn to you for salvation. Well, Father, we need your word and we need your spirit in our lives. We don't need my words. We don't need my thoughts. They're uh, no more important than any other person's. We pray that your truth would be applied to our hearts and our minds this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to give you six observations. I'm going to move through them relatively briskly this morning about the characteristics that are found in Proverbs 31. And then as we come to the end, we'll begin to ask the question, can we apply that? to our lives individually. So whether you're a young believer here, maybe uh, getting ready to go into your next year of grade school, or whether you're a believer that's been a disciple of Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years, do our lives reflect these characteristics that are celebrated as we travel on this journey uh, by God's grace towards heaven? The first thing I want to point out in verses 10 through 14 is that this person is joyfully resourceful. Joyfully resourceful. Look at these verses. An excellent wife who can find. She is more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Why? He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And then he talks about she seeks wool and flax, the the sturdy and strong uh, things that make great garments and, and strong clothing. And she works willingly with her hands. She is like the ship of the merchant. She brings food from afar. The notion you get here is not someone who is working reluctantly. Not someone who says, well, I got you know, to get going. I got to do this job, this chore, and, it, and it's a burden to me. But rather, you, you get a picture of someone who delights in the relationship in which they find themselves. In this case, it's be the example of a, of a husband and wife. The notion that, that she embraces the partnership. She's excited to be in this relationship, and, and she gets a kick out of, out of helping actually build the home. She works with willing hands, not with reluctant hands. And then the, the praise that is heaped on her is this notion that all the days of her life, she's focused. There's a consistency. She understands that, that she has the opportunity uh, to be part of a partnership that can accomplish great things. And so she, she joyfully steps in to those areas for which uh, she is resourceful, and she is a willing partner. She is happy to be part of this particular family, which leads to my second observation, and that is she's energetically responsible. Look at verses 15 through 18, then we're going to skip down to, uh, to verse 27. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Notice that she's not just caring for her husband and her children, but also for those who are employed around her house. She takes care of, of everyone in the family and outside of the family that's connected with them. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Do you feel the energy in those words? 
you see that, that the responsibility that she's taking on, she, she sees this role, she knows it, she understands it, but she embraces it, and she thrives in it. She's not going to let anyone outwork her, and she's not going to let anyone outsmart her on behalf of her family. For those who are under her care, for those who are experiencing her nurture, they're going to get her very best. She gets up before the sun comes up and begins her day while everybody else in the house is still, is still sleeping. She thinks carefully about a field. She, she has wisdom and understanding in the, in the ways of commerce. She dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She doesn't uh, sit idly by. And interestingly enough, as the, as the uh, author of this passage talks about food, in the positive sense, he talks about, and we read a, a couple verses ago, uh, the merchant ships that bring food from afar, the idea of delicacies, the idea of something special that you just can't find anywhere. But yet when it comes to idleness, when it comes to going about it the wrong way, he says bread, the most common, fundamental, simple thing to get your hands on, the thing that probably has the least amount of nourishment in it. She's not involved in any of that. As I said, she's not going to let anyone outwork her or outsmart her when it comes to caring for those to whom belong, those that belong to her. Uh, When our kids were young, we have three kids. uh, They're all grown now. The the youngest just got out of college a few months ago. But we were, uh, when our kids were little, our families were pretty far away. We lived in Tennessee. My family was here in St. Louis. Cindy's family was in Colorado, but she also had family in Minnesota. So whenever we took a car trip, the least amount of time we were going to be in the car was probably about seven hours. And those of you that have been in a car ride or have been children in a car ride for seven hours or 10 hours or 12 hours, you know how tough that can be. You know how much of a challenge could be. If you're, if you're uh, on the child side of it, you know how grumpy mom or dad can get after being in the car for a while, right? And, and how dad can maybe be unreasonable sometime and not stop for gas when he probably ought to stop for gas. Or, you know, you, get, you feel that side of it. And mom and dad probably feel the other side of it too if you guys want to get out and run around not being able to do that. Everybody's kind of been... In, in the car when it's hard. My wife is and was brilliant. She went to the dollar store, and she would buy, let's say we were on a 10-hour trip. She would spend $10 on each child. That's $30 for 10 hours of peace and quiet, okay? And what she would do is she would wrap each of the, it might be a little plastic slinky. It might be a little deck of cards. It wasn't, it, it was a dollar, it wasn't anything special, but she wrapped them up and she put one in a bag that said Nathan and one in a bag that said Katie and one in a bag that said Jordan. And she said, for every hour you guys get along, at the end of that hour you get to open a present and who knows what could be in there. And I'm like, I know it could be in there. It's junk, but they don't know and they're so excited about it and they got along wonderfully. And we get to our destination and I give her another $30. Okay, now go get for the ride home, right? One, one year we didn't do that, but Katie was kind of sick, and so Cindy gave her a little bit of, like, children's Tylenol or something, and it made her really sleepy, and she fell asleep for, like, five hours, and she started to wake up, and, and Nate tapped Cindy on the back. He was probably 12, and he's like, Mom, Katie's waking up. Could you give her another one of those blue pills? That would really <laughs> help the trip. But there, there's something about being smart about it. There's something about not letting anybody outwork you. Something about saying, you know what, this is, this is my opportunity. To, to make the impact that God wants me to make, and, and I'm going to put my very best into it. 
The picture here is one that is energetically responsible. But I also want you to notice that it's not just within their own immediate family. I think that, that one of the dangers that can happen to a church is that it can get so self-focused that it forgets that, that we're to be a light that shines. We're to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be intentionally outward focused. We're not building a castle. We're supposed to be part of building a kingdom. But if we're not careful, we can be tempted to just go, you know, it feels pretty good for me the way it is now. I'm pretty content and get inward focused and not care about those who maybe are in need. But this person is intentionally generous. Look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Notice the intentionality there. She understands that with blessing comes responsibility that not everybody has the benefits that she has. So she's going to make sure that part of her life is not just spent caring for those who are her own, but those who may even be strangers, but people who are in need. In other words, she's going to have an appropriate outward focus, and that focus is going to be summed up in the word generosity. She looks for the opportunity to relieve the suffering of others. She doesn't wait to be asked. She doesn't wait to be invited to a fundraiser. She puts the fundraiser on. <laughs> she, she doesn't go reluctantly. She doesn't, she doesn't look at, at the checkbook and say, well, you know, we really, you know, we got to build up our retirement account. Maybe in another 10 years we can start giving. Her initial and immediate thought is, we've been blessed. How can we bless others? My fourth observation in this text is that her strength that is so celebrated here is built on wisdom. Look at verse 21 and then verse 24 through 26. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed in scarlet. We already mentioned what that means. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. That's not an insensitivity. It's it's a sense of security. We've done the right things. We've built our house on the, on the right foundation, so to speak. So even when hard times come, we, we will be okay. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She knows that there will be challenges in life, so she doesn't bury her head in the sand. She doesn't pretend like they won't happen. She actually plans accordingly. We started at our house an air conditioner unit um, fundraising drive. And if anybody wants to contribute, you can see me after service now. Um, because we're, we're, we might get one more year out of it, right? Well, that's not something you just want to wake up one morning and go, I need a new air conditioner. I want to plan ahead a little bit. We have planned so carefully for this building project in which we're involved, right? Because we don't want to miss anything. We don't want to spend more money than we should. And we don't want to leave something undone that we shouldn't leave undone. We don't want to get a bad deal with the bank. We want to get a great deal with the bank. Well, all that takes hard work. All that takes wisdom. All that takes thoughtfulness. All that takes kind of looking ahead and seeing what may or may not need to happen and planning accordingly. And you think about that from a spiritual perspective. You look around this room, and there are lots of children sitting in this room. And, and beginning next week and throughout the school year, they'll have Sunday school classes to go to. Why? Because we look ahead and we say, we want to plan for caring for the next generation of our children. We want them to know Jesus just as much as as somebody who came before us wanted us to know Jesus. So we have to plan for those things. There are people sitting in this room this morning that are hurting terribly. There are people sitting in this room who have gone through hard times in their past while they've been at Green Tree or maybe in hard times right now. So what do we do? We plan ahead and we say, Stephen, ministry would be a good thing to have. 
at Green Tree Community Church so that anyone who goes through a time of struggle, whether it be for, for a life crisis situation or just a bump in the road, we want that person to be cared for. I look at all the training that Stephen ministers go through. You can't wake up one morning and go, we're going to have that ready tomorrow. <laughs> that takes some thoughtfulness. It takes some wisdom. Think about people who maybe are in financial needs. So we plan and we prepare and we make a benevolence fund. We think about the faith issues with which all of us are challenged. And so we provide community groups for teaching. We provide Sunday school, not just for children, but also for adults. We teach the Word of God every Sunday morning. Why? Because we want our strength to be built on the wisdom that God gives. We know there will be struggles, so we plan accordingly. But notice also that she stores up and also shares her wisdom as generously as she shares her wealth, right? She's not afraid of these things. She has strength and dignity. So what does she do? She opens her mouth with wisdom. She shares it with others. She gladly tells people what she's learned. I'm in a place in my life right now where I get to talk to a lot of young church planters around the country. And you know what I'd spend most of the time doing with them when I'm on the phone or chatting with them? I'm telling them all the mistakes I made that they can avoid. I'm trying to pass on wisdom that's been learned through those experiences. Strength is built on wisdom. But also notice that not only does she share wisdom, but look at the manner in which she shares it. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Cindy and I uh, went out to dinner with some friends last night. We were driving home. We were talking about... um, an opportunity that we have a couple months from now, and we started to disagree about it. And we, and we started, we had, we had a difference of opinion about it uh, to the point where we were in downtown Cargo. By the time we got to our house, we were like, we weren't really, you know, banging heads, but we were like, you know, oh, no, I disagree. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And I realized after that, when I woke up this morning, that it wasn't that I was necessarily wrong, although I might be wrong, but more, <laughs> but more importantly, I had left kindness out of the equation. And truth without love is a deadly thing. Truth without love becomes a baseball bat in the hands of the wrong person with the wrong attitude. So I left sending a note and I said, you're right, I left kindness out. We need to to do that. And I, I learned, again, from her. Strength built on wisdom is expressed in kindness. What a great lesson. Fifth observation out of six is that there is a deserving reputation. Look at verse 23 and then verse 28. Her husband is known in the gates. That's like in the, in where everybody gathers. It's kind of the place where uh, the community comes together. It would be Facebook now, okay? And actually, we're moving past Facebook. What is, what's, what's now the, I can't even think of all the Twitter and tweets and stuff you do. But her reputation is passed on to her husband. He is known in the gates. Why? Because he married wisely. When he sits among the elders of the land, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Now, she understands first and foremost, I think, the implicit comment here is that life is an open book that can be read by others. People are going to look at your actions. They're going to look at my actions. They're going to look at Green Tree Community Church's actions collectively, and they're going to draw conclusions. What type of conclusions will they draw? Well, we don't live to have a good reputation, but we also want to make sure that we are following Christ in a way that gives people an opportunity to see his glory and his grace and not the reason we so desperately need salvation, all all of our sin and all of our, our brokenness. 
that we actually live in a way that says, you know what, I know others are watching, and I want to represent Christ well. Uh, part of our trip, we were in Colorado, and I was playing golf with a college buddy of mine, and uh, about halfway through the round, this guy came up behind us, just one guy, there were two of us, so we invited him to join us. So we've been playing golf for probably about five or six holes, and just, you know, talking real casual, and the guy turns to me, looks at me, goes, you're a pastor of a church, aren't you? I'm like, yes, or <laughs> you like, you know, who are you? <laughs> and uh, he's, I said, I am. I said, how did, how did you know that? He said, we have a cross tattooed on your right leg, which is true. I have a little cross at the bottom of my right leg. And uh, well, Katie and I were both going to get tattoos, and she didn't do it, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> I'm not bitter. Uh, <laughs> but he said, the, the way you talk sounds like a guy who kind of loves God. And as it turns out, he was a Christian too. And I went, oh, Thank you, thank you, Lord, that my drive is going straight today, and I can talk like a Christian. I mean, you know, that could that could have gone a lot of different directions. But the better part of wisdom would have been said, Tom, you're going to have a reputation even with a stranger if you spend an hour with them. They're going to draw impressions of you. They're going to they're going to know a little bit about you because of that. So I think she understood it, and therefore, she lived in a way that both her community and her family knew her love and her strength, and her commitment, and spoke freely about that. Not because they were trying to build her up, but it was because that's what they observed. She had a deserving reputation. My final observation out of this text is that all of this character arises from faith. Look at the last couple verses of this passage. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who does what? Who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. <clears throat> Let her works praise her in the gate. Let her life speak for what it is. She wasn't bashful about saying that the quality of her life came from and grew out of her relationship with God, which meant this. As, as people talked about her, when we talk about reputation, they understood that her actions her attitudes, her, her kind temperament, all these things about which we've spoken, her generosity, showed everyone what it meant to belong to God. So should this not define the church? Should this not show through in our lives as we travel to glory? I'm kind of back to the, to the journey part of this now. As people come and interact with Green Tree Community Church, whether it's collectively here on Sunday morning or they come to a community group or women's teaching ministry or wherever they may interact, Vacation Bible School 2028, should they not see the glory of God? Is this not the the definable outcome of grace? Is it not the impact that should be had on our own lives? Being joyfully resourceful? being a church that says, we're so glad to, to be part of the kingdom of God. What can we do? Be energetically responsible, saying, I, I, I want to fulfill my role. I want to be part of what God is doing and growing his kingdom through Green Tree. Being intentionally generous. We're going to be coming back to that pretty quickly when we kick off our, our Sermon on the Mount series again and talking about what that means. Strength built on wisdom, deserving of a reputation that honors Christ. Because the character that people see actually arises not from our own strength and our own ability, from faith. Wouldn't you like to be part of a church like that? Right. I would. 
So let's go be that church. Individually, collectively, to the glory of God as we journey towards the promise of God in Christ as he calls us heavenward to be his bride. Let's live in that truth in a way that takes as many people with us as possible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the the picture that is painted in Proverbs 31. Father, we thank you that 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 is a, a picture of what you do in our lives. It's a picture of the transforming power of God. No human being on their own fulfills that, that type of description. Uh, you're, you're painting a picture of what happens when the fear of the Lord is, is primary in our, in our hearts and our minds. Father, I thank you for Green Tree. I thank you for this body of, of disciples. I thank you for the journey that we are on. I thank you for the challenges that are before us individually as well as collectively because they, they, they call us to, to go to our knees and to once again cry out to you. But Father, I thank you that you haven't called us just to be saved and then just kind of go along in life with no meaning, but you've called us to a, to a family, you've called us to a community, you've called us to be a witness for Christ, and you've given us the, the power of your spirit and your word to change our hearts so that you can use us to love others well. Lord Jesus, that's what this table is about this morning. It's about you loving us in a way that is completely amazing, completely undeserved on our part, and yet so freely given because a groom wanted to win for himself a bride. So, Lord, we pray that as we are the bride of Christ, we would represent him in this age for his glory and for the growth of his kingdom. We pray in his name.